Hey, you up all night tossing, turning, mind racing? You have a hard time getting to sleep? You're in the right place. Sleep With Me is proud to present Game of Drones, a Game of Thrones podcast that puts you to sleep. We do it with an episode discussion. All you need to do is get in bed, turn out the lights, your TV and stuff should be off, you know, if you just... If you just threw again, you know, if you're just through watching an episode or something, you have a bad turn out the lights, press play on this podcast. We'll do the rest. The way it works is the podcast is going to create a safe place where you can set aside anything you're thinking about or worrying about, or maybe you're just like, you know, paying too much attention, like noises, like you got loud neighbors talking. Whatever is is keeping you up, it's probably run through. Your brain's got something to do with it. Is my theory. And by theory, <laughs> I'm no scientist, so it means something I made up and I'm talking about right now. My opinion, I guess, would be another more correct term. Whatever, I'm going to distract you from that brain stuff with uh, talking about Game of Thrones, season one, episode four. Uh. Something cripples and broken things, and uh, what's I, I don't know. I'll, I'll don't worry when, when I I'll introduce it the right way. But, but I'm going to talk about it like that, kind of like I'm going to talk about what interests me in the show. I'm going to review the show, and then I'm going to talk about stuff that you know, my, like, huh, this made me think of this. Like, why does what you know? Why is cat hair? You know, Dick. This is you know. That's exactly what I'll be doing the whole time. That stuff. Cat hair, you know, do you ever think about this? Why, why is, what's up with that? But that's what we'll do. And hopefully it'll engage your mind just enough for you to slip off in a dreamland. You know, you don't have to pay super attention to what I'm saying because it's just my opinion. What interests me? I'd be talking to myself about this anyway. So I just am recording it, doing a little bit of extra research. We'll have a little bit of fun. It'll be lighthearted. That's the spirit of this podcast. I don't think I captured it. I don't think I could sell that as the essence of the podcast in a perfume form. But that was a gen general thing. So if you're new, give it a shot. Give a couple episodes a shot is what I'd say. Not not to, you know, give, get any more, you know, I want you to listen every night or most nights because I want to help you fall asleep. But if this doesn't work for you, you know, after a couple nights, no need to listen. I hope you find something else that helps you fall asleep. For those of you that are here already, I'm glad you're here, and I'm hoping to help you fall asleep. You can find all our episodes on the internet at www.sleepwithmepodcast.com. Game of Drones episodes are at www.sleepwithmepodcast.com slash drones. If you need to get a hold of me, email is feedback at sleepwithmepodcast. You can get me on Twitter at Dearest Scooter. I also post sleep-related articles there. You can get uh, me on Facebook, Sleep With Me Podcast. I post the bloopers up on Facebook whenever I can, probably once a week. Maybe Fridays-ish. Uh, what else? You can comment on the website. If you have any opinion, challenges, no no jousts or nothing. I don't have a horse. I wouldn't be up for jousting if you if you're, you know, fancy yourself a mountain. And um, that's it. Um, if you have a chance, 
to uh, review and rate us on iTunes. I'd really appreciate it. The reviews are not coming through, but I can see the number increasing. And my goal, my new goal, is to get uh, 100 written reviews on iTunes. That's going to take us a couple months, I think. But if you're listening, you like the podcast, and you remember tomorrow, you know, write me a review. If not, you know, you don't have to, but... uh Whatever. I don't know. Uh, the reviews aren't coming through because Apple's got this watch and stuff. I guess they, you know. But the team working on the podcast, I'm sure, is working hard. They're probably a little short staffed, so I'm trying to be patient. Now I got squeaky S's or something going through my mouth. That's it. Let's get on to the meat of the show, huh? Hey, just a heads up all the housekeeping is going to be at the end of the show during the prayers. Figure I'll thank all of you. In the you know why the old gods and the new are watching. So if you're look, listening to see if I you know when you're one of the new friends that said hi somewhere, check it out at the end of the show, and I'll leave like a I'll try to leave a time frame in the show notes like a time thingamajig whatever those are called time stamp. You know so if you want to fast forward to the end and check it out, and then it'll be probably in a future napcast episode, but that's where the uh, what do you call it? What did I just say? Housekeeping type stuff will be. All right. Let me know what you think. Feedback at Sleep With Me Podcast. Bye. All right. This is uh, episode season one, episode four already. We're already on episode four. Who would have thunk it? Time flies when you're in an endlessly long summer, as it seems to be that we're entering one right now, at least in California. You know, we got some water stuff, some fire firefighters risking their lives and forest fires. Diviners are probably big business, probably if you're a diviner, one of those people that has the Y-shaped stick to find water. But anyway, you know, facts aside, we're, we're talking about season four, season one, episode four, cripples, bastards, and broken things. And again, if you're going to get a pure deep thinker, I think that... Uh, HBO, the writers, the directors, the producers, the entire HBO staff, they probably put a lot of thought into these episode titles. So I want you to think about beyond the obvious cripple, bastard, broken things. You know, let it, let it germinate in the back of your subconscious mind or whatever, what, what it means. But let's run through the episode, then I'll talk about what we're going to talk about, and then we'll do that. Hopefully you won't be awake for any of it, but... If you are, like I said, I like to give you a little breath of relief from not being able to sleep if, if you're not falling asleep. If I'm failing, I still want to succeed by being here for you, chattering on and on and on and on. And it looks like these episodes are coming in about an hour and a half, so that's what we're shooting for now. And we got a lot to talk about. So this episode starts out with uh, Brian walking and... Uh, then there's a crow, thread crow. And then the old woman says, Little Lord's been dreaming. And then Theon Greyjoy rolls in, says, Get up, we got visitors. I don't think I don't think this is a first Hodor appearance, but a very good appearance by Hodor. You got Rob and Tyrion. Rob kind of being a jerk. Tyrion being nice with the uh, saddle thing for Bran. He says, Do you like to ride? Uh, I liked that. Um, Theon tells him, you know, Rob's not my master, Ned's not my master. 
when they're talking about his loyalty to the captors. I feel like Theon was goading him. Then Roz the Redhead comes up. This question that I don't have an answer to, is George R. R. Martin married to a redhead? Is George R. R. Martin married? I've, I don't know anything. I don't personally stalk him. So, But redheads play a big role in this series. I don't know, Weiss and Benioff married to redheads? Then we're back at the wall. Sam a Hornhill shows up. And I just want to take a second to put my hands together for John Bradley, I believe, is the actor that plays Sam. What a fine job he does. Talk about a tough, tough role to walk into. He's playing one of the most archetypal figures. I mean, when you talk about, I mean, the Game of Thrones has a lot of archetypes. And we don't need to get into archetypes because I barely even know what the word means. But what I'm using it here is that there's a lot of characters like Sam in these type of things. And George R. R. Martin, let's give him credit. Let's give the HBO staff credit that they can craft a character that is unique despite being similar to what's come before it. But then you have the extra burden of being the actor playing that role where you have to be this kind of outcast, cowardly, incompetent type person. And I just salute John Bradley's actual bravery at playing Sam. And what a great job he does because as as this, even in this episode, but as the show goes on, I mean, I don't know about everybody else, but I develop a, in this episode, a real soft spot for Sam. And I think uh, Jon Snow does too. That's not just based on this archetype that a a lesser, you know, just simple, straightforward, non-nuanced thing might be like, oh, this is the cool guy, the tough guy, Jon Snow. This is his nerdy buddy. And, the, you know, I don't know. I, and again, I'm not, I don't have, I don't know what it is that he brings that role that's so good. But he's an act. I mean, wow, what an actor. I, I just ruined it. I'm sorry, John Bradley. I wish I was up in my honesty and appreciation for you to describe a, what a great job you do. But that was a nice scene. All the scenes of Sam and John Snow's episode were nice. Great. Not nice. Fuck. What? They were wonderful. And Sam says, I'm a coward. Then we have some drum beats. We got the horses going through the statues. Uh, we got the dragon talking about muds and twigs and shit. And then we learn about the Dothraki's fear of salt water. And then Sir Jorah and the Khaleesi have a nice moment. She says, where's your wife? In another place with another man. Boom. Sir Jorah. Uh, I guess I was thinking I was going to go off on a Sir Jorah tangent this episode, but we just don't have time. Sir Jorah appreciation tangent, not a Sir Jorah hater tangent. Uh, then we get the dragon in the tub with this, um, uh, what do they call them? They don't call them prostitutes on the show, but whatever. Prostitute. This prostitute's seen a lot of the world. She's seen pirates. She's seen faceless men. She saw one other thing. I can't remember what it was. She talked, then the dragon, Viserys or whatever, Viser, whatever that jerk's name is. He talks. He tells actually this really nice story about hearing about the names of all the dragons from uh, the Mad King. Then they start having sex. I have Sansa saying someday here. And then she says Joffrey hates me. I don't know what this is. Who built the Iron Throne? The Red Keep. Got trouble around the hands tourney. And we have Ned talking John Aaron. John wanted this book. Ponderous tone. 
lineages in history that talk about the Umbra family. Then we hear the seed is strong. That made me think of the heat is on. I'm always thinking on this show. <laughs> Unfortunately, I have a, some sort of brain that associates the heat is on. Remember that song? Whoa, whoa, oh, oh, whoa, whoa, da, 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 da. The seed is strong. So I think I'm like, maybe, I don't know if I'm going to follow through on this one. Maybe you guys should hold me to task. Maybe I can get a Spotify playlist for each episode. Those of you that use Spotify, this isn't any kind of uh, tricky promotion or anything because it's free. And on iPads, I think, on your phone, you can only shut, whatever. And then maybe it'll be a shared playlist just for little stuff like this. So then it's like, hey, I want to listen to The Heat Is On now. The Heat Is On. I don't know if that's from one of the Beverly Hills cop movies. Is that the Pointer Sisters? I'm not sure. But The Seed Is Strong. Oh, 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 oh. Okay. They talk about poison. Who uses it? Women, women craven and eunuchs. I had to look up craven, actually means coward uh, and that's kind of the picture you get in your mind when you talk about someone that's craven anyway more of a sniveling evil cowardliness when you say craven but coward nonetheless get area aria standing on one toe for hours nice words in here every hurt is a lesson she's going to be chasing and studying cats they talk about brand being maybe a lord of the hold fast one day and then Ari says, can I rule a hold fast one day? And her dad goes, oh, no, no, you know, hold daughter duty. Bullshit. You got you women of the world, strong, powerful listeners I have. Have to deal with us guys. Well, that's one downside. And then we have this whole system, patriarchal system we run. Another downside. And then you also have to deal with us. Oh, boy, I feel bad for you. You got 99 problems and a man is more than one, 90 Nine of them, or 98. You got Gap Patrol on the, uh, sorry. But I love how Arya says, no, that's not me, Dad. Again, this is back-to-back episodes where she's, like, begging to connect with her father. And Ned's trying, I think. I don't think he's just like, yeah, 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 yeah. But poor Ned's got a lot going on, so. Back to the wall with Sir Alistair, that jerk. He says, I'm to be, oh, Sam. No, oh, no, actually, it's not. Sir Alistair sent Sam up the top of the wall to be with Jon Snow. I'm to be your new watch partner. I don't see all that well. Oh, that's again the lines, the comedy in there. I don't. I'm to be your new watch partner. I don't see that well. It triggers a nice interchange. I don't like high places. And then John's exasperated. Why for the sake? And why for the? Why are you here? And then Sam tells this tragic, tragic story of why he's there. Next up, we get a little lowdown from Baelish and Ned talking Sir Hugh with a veil. Uh, distracting me. I don't know what that note is. And you get uh, this dude counting paces for a joust. Ends up at Sir Hugh. Jory comes up to him. And so he was a total dick, man. And he just was just used to be a squire or some whatever. Whatever is between a squire and a stable boy. I'm not even sure. Between a squire and a... I think he was a squire for John Aaron. He's also a jerk. 
And we get uh, Gen- we meet Gendry, Sir Ned and uh, Jory go down to this armory. They meet Gendry, Robert's bastard son, another bastard. Or was he a broken thing? He didn't look broken. He looked pretty tough. He's got that helmet. Then we have Jamie eavesdropping on the king, having some uh, multiple partner sex. They talk. Jory comes again. Jory's getting a lot of screen time this episode. Store, they talk the Siege of Pike. Jory's always being nice. People are always being jerks to him. Jamie's no exception. Talks about what we fought side by side. Jamie kind of brushes him off. They give a little nod to this Thoros Amir with a blazing sword. Back at Castle Black. And Sam actually has a, I mean, it's mean, but he has a nickname, Prince Porkchop. Got Lord Snow and Prince Porkchop. Then you get that little sniveling bearded guy messing with him. He thinks he can cross Jon Snow. Wrong. Nobody crosses Jon Snow. He's got a friggin' wolf. So you're going to get wolfed, dude, if you mess with Sam. By messing with Sam, you're messing with me. Then we go back, and dr- the dragon is uh, beat his uh, his his uh, prostitute friend that's just about just over going to dinner or having dinner with his sister. Tries to drop a punch. Tries to hit his sister, and she beats, smacks him in the face with a nice belt. Cheers. Khaleesi fighting back. I love that. That was my note. Castle Black. They're cleaning tables. I don't know what the hell they're cleaning with. Salt, maybe? Does anybody know what they were cleaning with? I forgot to Google that. Like, what? Dry cleaning. They were actually cleaning with dry stuff, which makes sense in a frozen place, low water. But is, is it a... I don't know. And they were talking Molestown. That's the uh, brothel work. the uh, Night's Watch go to brothel eyes. Sally on the side, Sam calls it. Get a little Sally on the side, you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Ends up they're both virgins. They talk about that. Very sweet. Roz, the redhead, comes up again. Because John didn't, you know, he's worried about pregnancy like all young males should be. Sir Alistair comes in, cold, bit nippy. And Sir Alistair goes into a war story about being stuck out in the cold. Pretty standard eat the horses, eat the people type situation. He says, you don't know cold till you've been in my shoes. I don't, I don't even know what song that was, but come winter, you'll die like flies. Do, do a lot of flies die in the winter? I'm not sure about that. Go back to Khaleesi and Jorah. They talk about how dra- the dragon's not fit for the throne. And they also talk about bo- what they both want the most it's just to go home. Just want to go home. That's how most of us feel at work around the world. Or sometimes when I'm stressed out, I'm not even stressed out. I, mean, I just want to go home, man. I just want to get home. I want to get in bed, pull those covers up over my head, and hope, you know, and start over tomorrow. And then Shurjura says, you know, common people pray for rain, health, and a summer that never ends. We get the Joust, Baelish, kind of being sleazy around Sansa. Got Joff and Arya in that scene. Then you meet the Mountain and Sir Hugh, and that doesn't work out so long. I didn't. I don't know. I didn't look up the sigil of the Mountain. It was some sort of looked like some sort of devil dog on a shield. Uh, and then Sir Hugh hit a bird, so that didn't go so well. And then 
Baelish tells the story of the mountain and the hound, and we see, you know, it's just a sad story, but Baelish is already strange. He's pervy, a bit pervy, I'd say. It's like, oh, well, this would be a lot of our little secret, huh? so don't tell anybody, you little brat. Blah, blah. Should be, I think in, uh, Baelish would probably be a good game show host for a game show on, at like, the 7 o'clock hour, maybe. I don't know. I'm not trying to malign. Is that a malign? Am I maligning? Uh, all 7, 7 p.m. game show hosts are perverts. Pervy. I said pervy, not pervert. Difference. Now that we have a P.O. box, you know, these nut jobs could try to take the P.O. box from me. That's about my only asset. It's not an asset either. I was only paid for for six months. Get Cersei and Ned with a nice exchange. I did not write down all the lines. Do your, If you have HBO Go or I don't know what kind of cable you have, my cable does not have all the shows on demand. So I think some cable companies do, but if you have HBO Go, it doesn't matter. Rewatch that scene. It starts at uh, 51 minutes around. What a killer, killer dialogue. Uh, and just two actors slaying their lines. Absolutely killing it. Then we get back to this end where you got the old guy. I can't remember, Sir Roderick, Roddick or something. Cat, Catlin, Caitlin, Cat. I like to call her Cat, you know. And this minstrel trying to weasel in on their action. And Tyrion shows up and shit hits the fan. Cat gets all political. She's still in, this is, I guess, like law and order. Now she's in the order. Or wait, right? Law and order. Maybe she's still in the law mode. She's like, arrest the sucker. And that's it. So that's the episode summary. All right. So once again, we have a bounty of an episode here. So this is what we're going to try to talk about tonight. Hopefully we'll get to it all. Probably not in this order. I like to mix up the fiction and the nonfiction. We're going to talk about Third Eyes, Redheads, Rammed Earth, Fear of Salt Water. We'll have a Sir Pounce segment. Talk about orgies. What's an orgy? I mean, you know, we all know what an orgy is, but what specific, like, uh, was the king having an orgy or not? And we'll, I got a little cleaning story because the dry cleaning Reminded me of a story. He said, be a cleaner for a job. Uh, so that's going to be in there. All right. You guys ready to rock? All right. So this episode, we're going to do it at a kind of a blistering pace if we're going to get to everything. But uh, first thing that came up was this third eye on this uh, raven. I don't know if you noticed it, but raven had three eyes. And I've heard people talk about people having three eyes. So I decided to look into it for you guys because it's interesting. Like, I mean, to think about, do we have a third eye in the middle of our head? So I got a couple things. This is over at Personal Dow. I think that's how you say Dow. T-A-O. Personal T-A-O. Dow. Personal com. And this is a question. I don't see an author, but I'm sure it's copyrighted by com. What is the third eye? The third eye is the ability to see what might be. In other words, the third eye's ability to see potential. It's a sense, and it can be developed and to be developed to be more refined and more accurate than a hunch. Third eye is a natural part of every person. It's a meta organ. In other words, it consists of all the senses in the mind working together as a larger sensory organ. Third eye is a very clever, clever bit of natural evolution. A meta organ designed to sense, connect patterns, and relay them back in overlays of information on top of your other senses. Kind of like Google Glass, I guess, which would be. I don't know why they're not calling that 
Google third eye, Google fourth eye. What if it could work with whatever? Once opened, it's a very powerful ability, powerful enough they could drive people insane if not understood, accepted, and developed correctly. So there's danger, downside to the third eye. Also, lack of understanding. More people than that, mislabel, run away from the ability to take it to strange descriptions, which further muck and murk the waters of what the third eye is. Third eye is a sense can be used in many different ways, open our senses and patterns to senses of patterns around us. It's used by seers to make connections and answer questions, energy workers to feel the energy and manipulate the energy. It's a part of empathy. This is all from personal.com. It's not my opinion, and I'm not going to judge it, take it, or leave it as it comes. It's a part of empathy where a person can touch and feel the emotions of others. Many other examples exist how people use the third eye. Third eye and energy work. Let's look at one use. It's possible to use the third eye to learn how to sense and visually interpret energy around us. This helps people work with the process of motion activity and interchange more easily and completely. Energy, instead of being an abstract concept, becomes a tangible property of life to work with once you learn how to sense it and interact with it. Does a Taoist shaman really see energy? Not directly. Anyone could see the end results of energy in action. Seeing energy directly is another thing altogether. However, the third eye can help develop the ability to process information and overlay that information over our other senses in such a way that we can then interpret and interact with the energy in a more precise manner. In that way, we can see energy. This can appear as being a mystical power due to the relative nature of the skill, but it's a very real and tangible skill. Some people do take this thing too far and make it fantasy. So you need to be careful with People saying that they are energy workers. Another problem is the relative nature of skill. What one energy worker will sense is different than another. There's a bit more on uh, that's a personal dial. Let's check Wikipedia. Wikipedia says the third eye, also known as the inner eye, is a mystical and esoteric concept referring to a speculative, invisible eye which provides perception beyond ordinary sight. In certain dharmic spiritual traditions, such as Hinduism, the third eye refers to the anja, or brow chakra. In Thesophy, it's related to the pineal gland. The third eye refers to the gate that leads to inner realms and spaces of higher consciousness. In New Age spirituality, the third eye often symbolizes a state of enlightenment or the evocation of mental images, having deeply personal or spiritual psychological significance. Third eye is often associated with religious visions, clairvoyance, and the ability to observe chakras and auras. So I'll post that. And then real quick, over at WikiHow, they say how to open your third eye. Third eye symbolizes an enlightened state of consciousness through which one can perceive the world in an almost supernatural way. But they have some basic uh, tips. Learning part one of two, how to meditate. Find the right environment. Find some place that's quiet. You can be alone. It doesn't have to be silent. But don't want to be distractive. Get into a meditative posture. Relax your body. Relax your mind. This is the most essential part of opening your third eye and the most challenging because you will need to clear your head of any thoughts. Do this by fo- focusing all of your attention on an aspect of the physical world, whether it's your breath going in and out, sounds of cars outside, or the sensation of the ground beneath you. Get in the habit of meditating every day, even if it's only for three to five minutes, they say. 
Part 2. Start to observe the world around you. So be more observant. Pay attention to your dreams. Of course, we at this podcast want to pay attention to our dreams. And listen to your gut instincts. That's three. And that's it. To, uh, according to WikiHow, just start opening up your third eye. Maybe it's just to be slow down, be in the moment, and pay more attention, be more aware and accepting of the present moment. I'm not sure. I, would, I, 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 I mean, that's what I, one of the things I want. I'm trying to learn how to do. It's taken, it's not, you know, it's a, it's a path that, uh, it's not a natural talent for me. could be for some people. So that's a little bit about the third eye. There's also a band called Third Eye Blind. I remember, uh, maybe that was a 90s band or an aughts band, I think 90s. So that's another thing to think about. I don't know what you would think about that. Hey, now. I know I can't. I know I have the song on the tip of my tongue. If I think of it, or if one of you is listening, and there is a Spotify playlist for episode one forty, I think we're on one thirty nine. Check it out, or maybe it'll just be this week's playlist. I don't know, but whatever. We got to move. I mean, move on to the next segment. All right, the next thing we're gonna cover is redheads because Roz, the redhead, comes up in this episode a couple times. She may have come up. Uh, maybe she didn't come up last episode, but I'll tell you, spoiler alert, Roz is not going to be the only redhead on this show. Is Catelyn a, red, Caitlin a redhead? I'm not sure if she's considered a redhead or not. But like I said earlier, somebody's got something about redheads. Or, you know, they're just like, hey, what about these redheads? A little factoid, personal note, my brother Carl, who is two years younger than me, he's a redhead. And he's not that uh, dark red redhead. Like when we were little, he had the orange hair, fair, very fair-skinned uh, person. So I, I, redheads are personal, personal to me, my family, on my mom's side. We got more than one or two redheads. We got probably ten. I'm not sure. But let's let's who cares? Let's talk about some facts. According to Wikipedia, red hair occurs. Whoa, man, I don't think 1% or 2% they occur. Approximately 1% or 2% of the human population. They occur more fre- frequently, 2 to 6% of people of northern or western European ancestry, which would make sense since my mom's family's Irish. Less frequency, frequently in other populations. Red hair appears in people with two copies of a recessive gene on chromosome 16 which causes a mutation in the MCR1, MC1R protein. Red hair varies between a deep burgundy through a burnt orange to a bright copper. Oh, so like Crayola colors. Is characterized, I, love, I always love burnt umber, and they talked about the umbers in this episode too. Interesting. Uh, it's characterized by high levels of reddish pigment, phaleo, melanin, and relatively low levels of the dark pigment, eumelanin. The term redhead has been in use since at least 1510. It's associated with fair skin color, light eye colors, freckles, and sensitivity to ultraviolet light. Cultural reactions have varied from ridicule to admiration. Many common stereotypes exist regarding redheads as they are often portrayed as fiery-tempered. 
lot more facts on uh, Wikipedia, but let's roll over to uh, HuffPost UK comedy section. A little article by someone named Emma Kelly. She's the founder and editor of the Ginger Parrot, a website for redheads. Ten unbelievably fat, unbelievable facts you didn't know about redheads. Number one, natural red hair is harder to dye than other shades. Head, headstrong as it is, ginger hair holds its pigment much firmer than any other hair color. If redheads desired to dye their hair any other color, why would you? That's her words. It would have only have it would only have a noticeable difference after bleaching the hair beforehand. Otherwise, the color won't take. Redheads have less hair on their heads. In terms of total number of strands, my brother had a very full head of hair. He still does. My brother, Carl the Redhead. In terms of total number of strands, gingers have far fewer atop their heads, redheads, than any other color. On average, flame-haired beauties have 90,000 strands, compared with blondes with 110,000, brunettes with 144,000. They're not exactly going bald, though, as each strand of natural ginger hair is much thicker than be my brother. So the appearance is often that redheads have more hair in general. It's like you're reading my mind. These fewer but thicker strands make it easier to style, so be jealous. Redheads don't go gray. Staying true to the stubborn, its stubborn stereotype, ginger hair retains its natural pigment a lot longer than other shades. So there's no need to panic about going gray. Red hair simply fades with age through a glorious spectrum of faded copper to rosy blonde colors and then silvery, sil, silvery, silverly, 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 silvery, I can't pronounce silvery, white. Four, red hair and blue eyes is the rarest combination in the world. Five, this is crazy. So I'd like to have facts to back this up. They're more sensible, more sensitive to thermal pain. Countless studies have looked into the genetics behind redheads, claiming that they are more or less sensitive to pain. Research shows that redheads are more sensitive to hot and cold pain, with their body temperatures able to change temperature much quicker. Also in surgery, gingers may require approximately 20% more anesthesia than other, but that doesn't say... It's not a fact. Romans kept six. Romans kept redhead slaves at a higher price. Seven. Russia means land of reds, according to this. Translating to mean land of reds, Russia boasts a high density of gingers, located in the Kazan region, at over ten percent of at over ten percent redheads. A de- similar density to Scotland and Ireland. Eight. Forty percent of Brits are secret gingers. Extensive research conducted by Britain's DNA has found that 40% of the population carry the mutated MC1R gene, but both parents have to have it, and then it's a 25% chance. Uh, Nine, Adolf Hitler didn't ban ginger marriages. Dirtbag. Gingers generate their own vitamin D. Having pale skin means the redheads burn more easily when exposed to UV rays, but their paleness can serve as an advantage. Redheads can't absorb sufficient vitamin D due to low concentrations of melanin in their body. This sounds like bad news, but the lower melanin concentration means that gingers 
can cleverly produce their own vitamin D within their body when exposed to low light conditions. So there you go, that's redheads. So in this episode, Sam and John Snow are cleaning tables with, like I said, some strange substance. I wasn't sure what it was. And uh, they see, you know, we're getting along with a little brotherly love action, friendship developing. And then, of course, Sir Alistair comes in and screws it all up. But it reminded me of my days as a cleaner. So, and you guys are always saying, hey, we need more personal information about you. Or we want to hear more personal stories. And, uh, man, you think uh, made-up stuff's boring. Get ready. Buckle your seatbelts. You asked for it. Here it goes. So for a time, on and off, I think maybe four years, uh, when I was going to school, so on break, school breaks in the winter and the summer, three years, three and a half years, I had a job as a cleaner. Or that was one of my jobs. And it was in these two apartment buildings Apartment towers. Now, Syracuse, New York, Syracuse, New York, 13215, and other area, 315, I guess you'd call it. Is that right? Syracuse did not have a lot of tall apartment buildings. It has some. But so these two buildings were pretty big for Syracuse. And they were also subsidized apartment buildings for older adults. So it wasn't a nursing home. I guess it was kind of a, a retirement place, but it was like if you were on a, a fixed income and you were over 55 or 60 or 65, I don't know, I wasn't the bouncer, you could live there and somehow, you know, it would be subsidized. I don't know. Again, I wasn't the collector either, but uh, enable people that were older adult. It was kind of like society taking care of their, its elders uh, was the thing. I don't. I don't know. I don't know. Any, barely know anything about the management building. I just know I was a cleaner there, and a well, some like I had a couple jobs, you know, uh, mowing lawns, bunch of. I was like a you know extra help. But one of our main jobs, me and these other guys, was cleaning apartments. Now, if someone would pass away, or they would move on, uh, not from life, but like they would move out of there. Maybe they would move into a nursing home. Somewhere some upgraded care, or they might move away from somewhere that's friggin' freezing cold in the winter. Uh, but you're, you know, it's a, your friends are there, and I don't know how much rent was, but you know, you might want to move somewhere warmer. So people would leave. Now, Crone, and I'm not knocking my elders here, but these apartments would not always be in the best shape uh, condition when the people would move out because maybe they passed away. I mean, you don't know you're moving out if you die. So you sound like you're cool cleaning up and making the apartment spick and span. Or, you know, if you've lived there for, let's say you got in there when you're 60 and you lived to 85, there's going to be some wear and tear in that apartment. And because this is a, I don't even know if it was a public-private partnership or who the hell knows how it was being run. Very well, I might add, by the people working there. But I mean, who knows like how often, but so some of these apartments, they'd be in pretty, pretty beat up shape. Someone wouldn't, but the point is people would move out and we would have to go in and clean this apartment. Now we, this is a, for older adults, subsidized housing. So there's a standard of care. I guess when you have a landlord, you're, you're like, Hey man, this thing better be care. But when you have older adults, this is, you know, one of these situations where you don't want to be dealing with a slumlord. And we weren't a slumlord, but 
So our, our apartments would be inspected sometimes by some health inspector type situation. So they need to, so these apartments need to be spick and span. And it usually be a two person or a three person team. You'd go in. Let's say you'd get a list. You'd be like, okay, these are the apartments that got to get cleaned. I think it'd probably take a day. I don't know what we we're allowed, how long we we're allowed to clean the apartment. A day or two days, probably just a day, but I don't know. Just I can't remember. Probably two days overall, but let me get let me get to the point. So you'd go in there. Now you had your you had your uh, efficiency apartments, like studio apartments. Then you had your one bedroom and your two bedrooms. Bedrooms not a not a big deal. Cleaning a bedroom is a joke. But you'd break up the rest of it: the living room, the kitchen, and the bathroom. That's where the heavy lifting would be. And uh, we, if it was two people. One of you would probably take the kitchen, one of you take the bathroom, and then you'd figure out the rest because, uh, you know, kitchen and bathroom, those are going to be the dirtiest, maybe the living room. But what what I noticed, what, what made me think of the story is like, so we went in. Now, when you go to a supermarket, you got to aisle all this friggin' crap to clean, right? And uh, you can buy like seven different kinds of friggin' bleach, all sorts of different freaking sprays and crap for every different room. You you know, you got bathroom cleaner, you got kitchen cleaner, you got living room cleaner, you got bedroom cleaner, you got floor cleaner, you got tile cleaner, you got grout cleaner. And so we our job was to clean these apartments better than you'd ever clean anything in your life. Like really, really clean these, I mean, spick and span, as I said. But the only thing we had to clean was ammonia. That was the number one thing we cleaned with, ammonia, watered down. Oven cleaner. We had uh, some oven cleaner. Uh, I can't remember the name of it. It wasn't like a store brand. It was an industrial brand. And then I think we had a toilet bowl cleaner that was, like, strong enough to clean any um, pathogens in case there was any pathogens in the toilet. And I think that was it. And again, I'm not a scientist, so I don't know about this ammonia, how strong it is. But, you know, we put it in water, mix it. I don't even know what dilution we're using. But 90% of the stuff in that apartment we cleaned with ammonia and water. And you just scrub a little elbow grease. You have to, you get, and believe me, this is a lot of work. And uh, I don't even know if there's a point in the story because they weren't using ammonia. I don't know what they're using. But you guys always want to know about me. This podcast is supposed to be boring. Cleaning is boring. We would usually have a radio or some sort of music. We would do stuff like Jon Snow and Sam and make fun of each other and talk, me and the other guys that were working there. Sometimes I'm a little quieter guy. Sometimes I just like to get in a cleaning zone. Not, Not always the most healthiest thoughts going through my mind. But, yeah, you'd be cleaning the fridge. But that's all you had was ammonia and water. Now, you probably had a pretty nice spray bottle. I can't remember very much. Now, let me tell you, these kitchen cabinets, that was always the, that was always one that got me. The kitchen cabinets, the uh, ceiling on the uh, friggin' refrigerator. Refrigerators are a pain in the butt, too. Uh, Bathroom never bothered me. I mean, to be honest, you spray some of that pathogen. I mean, that probably had bleach in it, so then you have to make sure you don't mix your bleach in your, um, what do you call it, but uh, ammonia. But, we, you know, we knew, I mean, we were bright enough for that. But, man, I'm having a way back machine now. But one life lesson I learned from that is don't, if you're smoking, 
Quit smoking, okay? Figure out a plan to quit smoking, please. For your own health. Because I would see in these kitchen cabinets, what I would see, I mean the whole apartment for smokers, people that smoked, this was but I don't know. I mean, you could smoke indoors. It was your apartment, I guess. I don't know the law in New York now. I haven't lived in New York State in a little while. But, yeah, you'd spray, oh, man, the, the amount of nicotine and tar coming off these kitchen cabinets when you're hitting them with the little ammonia spray or even the walls. I mean, usually paint the walls would get painted, but still. Or the uh, little bit of thingamajigs you hang the uh, curtains from. Just don't smoke, okay? Because it's whatever it's doing to those kitchen cabinets, it was doing to, it's doing to your insides. I mean, it's honestly it was goopy. Like I could, oh, so don't do it, okay? That's my main point. I don't know. I thought when I when I thought about this in my mind, I thought it would be more it's supposed to be dull though. Cleaning, you know, I just scrub green scrubbies. I think were another main thing. So that's all you need too to clean your place. You don't need any fancy stuff. And I, I don't stay true to that anymore because I just find ammonia to be this volatile substance. I, I mean, I might have an ammonia um, phobia. I have another story of my ammonia phobia that I had to get over to work there. But I just don't want it in my house. I'm afraid it's going to spill and, and mess me up. But uh, I, I just use, I got bleach in my house to clean. I got that super green, whatever the hell it's called. Mr. Green, I don't know, Simple Green. And then, uh, what do you call that stuff that comes in a container, canister? It's got bleach in it, and it's, like, kind of gritty. Maybe that's what they were using on the tables. What's that called? Brand, like Ajax Comet Cleanser. I don't know. It has a, it's the gritty stuff with bleach in it. Great for cleaning toilets and tubs and sinks. And then, you know, it sticks to the side, so that's nice. So you don't have, you know, and green scrubbies. I still, I, I love me a green scrubby, people. Oh, boy. Now, don't take this the wrong way. I hate freaking cleaning. And uh, I loathe it because I was getting paid to clean there, and I have a choice. So, I don't know. So that's, uh, I guess that's a diatribe about cleaning. Uh, that's it. What else is there to say? Uh, something about the uh, way the dragon was talking about uh, the way the Dothraki lived made me think of Adobe houses because he was talking he was talking about muds and shit and stick housing, and then made me think of rammed earth housing. I was like, I remember hearing something about rammed earth housing, but I don't like is that still in vogue? What the hell is it? So of course I looked it up. Rammed earth, also known as tapa, tap tai tap. Pial and Piez del Terre is a technique for building walls using natural raw materials such as earth, chalk, lime, or gravel. It's an ancient building method that's seen a revival in recent years as people seek more sustainable building materials and natural building methods. Rammed earth walls are simple to construct, non-combustible, thermally massive, strong, and durable. They can be labor-intensive to construct without machinery powered tampers, however, and they are susceptible to water damage if inadequately protected or maintained. Rammed earth buildings are found on every continent except Antarctica in a range of environments. Building a rammed earth wall, we're going to read about that in a second. I don't know, there's a lot more on about Wikipedia about that. 
history, evidence of early rammed use earth has been seen in Neolithic archaeological Neolithic archaeological archaeological sites along the Yellow River in China, dating back to 5000 BCE. By 2000 BCE, rammed earth techniques were commonly used for walls and foundations in China. In the 1800s, rammed earth was popularized in the United States through the book Rural Economy. An outstanding example for you guys in Canada is the St. Thomas Anglican Church in Shanty Bay, Ontario. So then I went over, I found this article over at Mother Earth News, How to Build a Rammed Earth House. And this author describes his experiences in the 1940s building a rammed earth house, an oddball decision at the time and how well the structure has served him since then. This is by John O. McMeekin. It's from the September 1973 issue. Back in the 40s, I was considered an oddball. I wore a beard, revolutionary then, and I started by myself to build a house out of all things. I'll paraphrase a bit. Out of rammed earth. People wondered about me. Today, I peer establishment, and my home doesn't look unusual either. It hugs the hillstop land. Hilltop landscaped is surrounded by sheltered, spacious lawns and sheltered by big trees. Like the cars in my garage are two, but my house is still made of rammed earth. It's a good building, snug in the winter, cool in the summer, fireproof, termite proof. Houses like it have stood for hundreds of years. When the windows are closed, it's airtight. You want to build a rammed house? First of all, you got to find the right type of soil. Sandy, but not all sand. 50 to 75 percent. You mustn't have too much clay either. The finished wall will shrink and crack. Once you've found the proper blend of earth you're going to, going to in effect, turn it into sandstone the way that, way that nature does with pressure. The final result will be the strongest and most pleasing if you keep your raw materials as homogeneous as possible. Your first construction step should be sieving of the soil through a slanted screen of 1% hardware cloth, blah, blah, blah. My home's own foundation is of reinforced concrete that extends 12 inches above the ground to 24 inches below our local, local splash and frost lines. If you live in a climate with warmer winters than Pennsylvania's, you may need to set your home's base. You may not need to set it so deep. I laid the foundation in eight. Okay, that's boring. So it's about foundations. You know, we don't need foundations around here. <laughs> we don't need something to support. Oh, here we go. Ramming the walls. You'll need a new set of forms when you begin to ram the dirt walls. On the advice of South Dakota State College Bulletin 277 rammed earth walls for farm buildings, I built my first framing from 2 by 12 planking. The planks, however, turned out to be too heavy for one man to handle. My wife was about to have a baby, so I followed the bulletin's diagram but made new forms from 5-8-inch marine plywood. Wooden molds, which were lined... This guy built his own friggin' house. Cheers. Wooden molds, which were lined up with shoot steel and edged with three-quarter-inch angle iron clamped onto the foundation and were reinforced with 4 by 4 uprights. These little boxes were light enough for one man to move and their metal lining was a considerable improvement because it left the sections of the wall smooth. You'll need three pieces of four by eight. You know, next thing you'll need is a tamper. 
His was 15 pounds, had a six-foot handle of one-inch pipe threaded into it. Now the work begins. Shovel a four-inch layer of dirt into the form and pound the earth till it rings like a rock. This guy must have been jacked. Then add four more inches. Then add four more inches and so on. Cover your forms at night to protect the soil from the rain and keep precipitation from the walls as you go. Since ram earth hardens as it dries, a form may be removed as soon as they're full. Pull out the bolts and fill the holes which are left. This can be done. So anyway, that's possible ramming your own house. Sounds cool. I'm just wondering, yeah, if it gets wet, will the whole house once like to live in a rammed earth i mean i like how it'd be cool and and then yeah if you heat it up it'd be warm i just worry yeah like what if someone threw a bucket of water on the side of your house i'm not i'm not like this guy so i don't have the patience the ingenuity or the dedication to ram my own walls pardon the image there but sometimes i feel like i'm ramming walls and uh ramming my head against a wall it's still sexual i'm sorry but uh so that's interesting that so thank you to john o mcmeekin i salute you you could be our official wall rammer since but i doubt you're even 1973 you may not be with us so maybe you're looking on and i just botched everything so now you're gonna be mad at me along with the dude that plays sam but yeah whatever i salute you still Hello, this is Tommen. Uh, Sir Tommen, you may call me. I'm here for another tale of brave Sir Pounce, everyone's favorite cat in shining armor. You might remember me from such tales as Sir Pounce, the greatest cat in the world. Sir Pounce, the best friend of a boy who... Not sure he needs to be a man yet, because he's he's still enjoying being a boy. But he has a, and he has a best friend named Sir Pounce, the best friend a boy ever had. And even if he became a man, Sir Pounce would still be his best friend. And I'm proud to be here again. And I've heard from some 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 people uh, uh, that they actually like Sir Pounce, and and I, I'm so happy because I'm I mean. You, 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 a lot of times people don't like Sir Pounce, and they say it so. I, I know I've talked about it before. But you, he, he's, a, he's a cat, but he's not. He's more than a cat, and he's more than a friend. He is a hero, and I know a lot of you believe that too. But people here, they say, "Oh, Tommen, oh, look at that boy and his cat. That is a shame." That a boy of that age and a whatever. And Sir Pounce tells me, Tommen, don't let it bother you. Where I come from, Tommen. And this is when I get upset, Sir Pounce tells me in one of his tales. And then I tell, tales, tales. (laughs) I find that funny. I find that funny. But it's true. Sir Pounce tells me in one of his tales. And then I tell it to you so that you can tell the world about Sir Pounce, brave Sir Pounce, and his best friend Tommen, two brave men who the world, you know, doesn't understand currently, but they will when they know what a hero is. 
and what it means to be a hero's friend. You gotta be a, a hero, kind of, like a heroey, to be a best friend of a hero. But one time I was feeling down about this whole thing. Man and cat, friending, shame, they say shame, 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 Tom, and oh, shaman, the septa, she does not like, what's her name, septa, Sir Pounce calls her septa moran, <laughs> Sir Pounce, so, Sir Pounce said, Tom, what is with the frowny face, Sir Pounce, does battle with frowny faces, Wipe that face off your frown, or that frown off your face, Tommen, for I'll tell you the tale of Sir Pounce and the Sea Lord. Now, this was during Sir Pounce's first life, long ago, when he was living in Bravos, and a place far, far away, a kingdom, I think, I believe. Sometimes, Grandfather, he curses the Bravosi. And he says, damn them bravos, damn the iron banger. I hope they come and take grandfather away. Secretly, of course. Sir Pounce said he wouldn't mind either. And he said he'd had quite a few things they could do to grandfather. For all this staring with his iron face. But so, Sir Pounce said one time he was in the kingdom of bravos. And it was a time of great upheaval, for Bravos was a place with burgeoning wealth, Sir Pounce said. And burgeoning, uh, stuff. And Sir Pounce was going to Bravos on a quest, for he'd heard Bravosi were great, great warriors, but not the greatest in the world. And these men, they called them the Moonshiners. They had tried to take all of Bravosi's things, just like Grandfather would. He said, I'd take the iron bank and I'd keep it in old uh, Raza Frazen Fruza. But Sapount said that these Bravosi, they were strong, fast men, but they were missing something extra. Now, where Sapount was from, Caddington Land... Not far from Pink's Landing, another terrible place. And don't even get me started about uh, Hyannis Port or any other places. But there was a dark power trying to invade Sir Pounce's kingdom. And Sir Pounce's people, also cats, Sir Pounce doesn't have any interest in ruling over people, just friending them and spending time with his best friend, Tom, and his kingdom had been invented invaded by these evil, evil, uh, dogs, uh, called grouch dogs. And they, you know, a lot of people say, oh, the worst dogs are from the north. But no. Sir Pounce and Tom, no, the worst dogs are the ones that are from where you're from. Of course, those are the worst dogs. Because for a while, the grouch dogs and the cats of Caddington got along fine. But then one time the grouch dog said, What are you looking at, you fools? And then a war erupted. And it was a war that was brought to a standstill, and no side could win and no side would lose. And this is what sent Sir Pounce over to Bravos to learn secrets from the Bravosi. So Sir Pounce went and sought the Sea Lord, the Lord of the Bravosi soldiers, I think, or something. 
he said to the sea lord. Your soldiers, I see, are having trouble in your battle, and so are mine. What do you say we train each other? And the bravo sea sea lord said, I like you. I've never seen a cat with such style and such courage as you, Sir Pounce. Be honored to have any endeavor and work with you in any any way would be I'd be more than honored I'd be. You you must be the best chooser of friends in the world, I respect you so. And Sir Pounce said, Oh, Sea Lord, I respect you and your men too, for I see in your heart the ability to scratch me behind the ears and right above my tail, if you would. And so the Sea Lord petted Sir Pounce in a way that it wasn't quite as good as he would find with his best friend, but a good friend he became with his petting technique, not the same as mine, of course, for I have a petting technique too I cannot share with you, because you would try to take Sir Pounce and, and turn him against me. Oh, so I, one thing I'm afraid Joff could do, but he won't, he can't. So Sir Pounce sent all his soldiers to Bravos, and Bravos sent all their soldiers to uh, Caddington. And then the soldiers, the Bravos soldiers, they did away with the dogs. And the cats, they went out to the, the bad guys there, Bravos, and they poked out all their eyes, and then the Bravos soldier went back. And they vanquished their foes. And there was a victory. But Sir Pounce, everyone was celebrating but Sir Pounce. They said, we've beaten our enemies. Oh, oh, huzzah to the Sea Lord. Huzzah to Sir Pounce. And the Sea Lord said to Sir Pounce, you don't celebrate with all of our soldiers. Sir Pounce said, and now is not time, the time to celebrate. Now is the time to make sure this never happens again. As he would tell Tom and many times, now is a time for bravery, so we just switched our tactics, but soon so will our enemies. So I propose to you, Sea Lord Bravos, a little game that a less than wise man would call cat and mouse, but I'll call it cat and man. And I will leave my best soldiers here in Bravos, and you will send your second best soldiers back with me. And we will stalk each other at night. And we will try to just, uh, you know, kind of mess with each other. Kind of like a cat-like game. And I will try to smack you in the face like this. Oh, Sir Pounce, that hurt. No, because I did not open my claw. You really anticipated it would hurt when I smacked you in the face. See, Lord. And you will try to catch us. And for every cat you catch... It will be one bravo sea life spared the next time you vanquish your enemy. And for every bravo sea we smack in the face, it will be one dog that doesn't catch a cat because we're too spry and smart for them. And even though they tried to live in our kingdom and befriend us, we were not. We'll never fall for that one again. And hopefully Tommen won't fall for it when Joff is nice to him or mother. And she says, oh, I have a present for you, Tommen. Oh, but you cannot have it till you get rid of that cat. And who calls it a cat, sir? He's not a, he cannot, yeah, possibly. Tommen, Tommen, Tommen. Oh, um, 
I forgot, but Sir Pounce said, What do you think, Sea Lord? And the Sea Lord said, Sir Pounce, I will build up in our harbor a giant soldier holding up a cat. And the cat will be smacking him in the face while he's caught the cat showing our unity. For, and it will stand forever above our harbor. Now, it did not, the, the part with the cat, of course, fell, and people forgot about it very quickly. But the Bravosi soldiers never did, because they are spry like cats. And the cats at Caddington never forgot either, for they know how to, you know, run around and sneak around and not get hit with swords. And then when dogs come, they just run around in circles and then poke out their little eyes or have them run off the edge of something into a swamp. And that is the tale of Sir Pounce and the Sea Lord. Sir Pounce, the bravest cat in the world, and his best friend Tommen reporting for Sir Pounce. Good night. All right, so the... Dothraki are afraid of salt water or any water their horses won't drink. To me, it's pretty smart uh, that they're afraid of water. And, you know, because a lot of stuff can go wrong. You're used to riding a horse. I hope, you know, land doesn't go. I mean, well, land moves during earthquakes. I don't know if the Dothraki live in a rift zone or what's going on with the, what the continental shelf situation is over in Westeros. But, uh. Let's just talk, let's get to the point because we're, so what does that mean? And they're afraid of uh, salt water. What, what, what is a person that's afraid of salt water? Are they, would you think they're hydrophobic? They have suffered from hydrophobia. If you think that, you'd be wrong. Hydrophobia or hydrophobe, according to Wikipedia, can refer to rabies. Hydrophobe, a term used in chemistry to describe chemical versions of a molecule. Hydrophobia, a Hungarian disc magazine. Hydrophobia, a video game developed by Dark Energy Digital. So maybe it's aquaphobia? Wrong, but close. Aquaphobia is a persistent abnormal fear of water. Aquaphobia is a specific phobia that involves a level of fear that is beyond the patient's control or may interfere with daily life. So that doesn't apply to the Dothraki. People suffer from aquaphobia in many different ways and may experience it even though they realize the water in an ocean, a river, or even a bathtub poses no imminent threat. They may avoid such activities as boating and swimming. So this could apply to uh, the Dothraki, but what I think fits best is Thalassa Thalassophobia. Thalassophobia, from the Greek thalassa sea, is an intense and persistent fear of the sea. Thalassophobia is a clinical phobia generally classified under specific phobias. Fear of a single specific panic trigger. Symptoms for thalassophobia are the same as for most specific phobias. Although it is a clinical phobia, it often accompanies other anxiety disorders. And sometimes, in some cases, anti-exoctic medication may be prescribed or cognitive behavioral therapy. 
Colossophobia can include fear of being in large bodies of water, fear of the vast emptiness of the sea, fear of the distance from land. Another causes phobias of fear or sight of any creature under the depth of a body of water, more than fear of the water itself. So I know people that are afraid of stuff under the water. I don't know, maybe the Dothraki aren't, they don't have philosophobia either. They're just smart. Like, they're like, why the heck would we go out on this water? We don't need to go over to there, across the narrow sea. We're happy here. We go around conquering people. You know, our horses can't drink the water. I'm sure if there was like some sort of chemical spill and their horses wouldn't drink the water, the horses again, they wouldn't need to drink that water on their land. So it seems like the Dothraki again, at least the dragon, he's a jerk, but he's still like criticizing them for something that's actually sensible behavior. So they don't have a phobia. Uh, but, uh, you know, that made me curious about the phobias that uh, they could suffer from or other people might suffer from. And plus thalassophobia is nice to say, even if I'm saying it wrong. All right, so that's that. All right, the next thing I want to talk about is, like, Jamie was listening to King Robert in a room with a bunch of women, presumably having sex with them. And then it was, like, a good scene. He's like, Jamie takes it personal, like, Robert's trying to insult my sister and torture me or whatever, but maybe Robert, I mean, Robert truly is a glutton or a lustful glutton or whatever you want to call him. But I was like, is that an orgy? Because it sounds like there's a bunch of girls in there, women, whatever you want to say. But like how many, like, and then his orgy, it sounded like there's more than two. So it wasn't like a threesome. And maybe there's even more than three. So this is foursome. So is an orgy a fivesome or do you need a dude to, like, I mean, I don't know Robert wouldn't have another dude in there. But do you need another dude to be there to have an orgy? So I decided to look this up because, you know, obviously you got to get this question answered. Let's just run through some answers because there's not a conclusive answer that I could find. Over at uh, Yahoo, somebody asked on Yahoo Answers. And the best answer, according to Yahoo, is five or more. If anyone tell you different, they are lying. By the way, some of you guys, their thing is such a four, as, like you said, that there's five or more. Somebody else said four or more. And somebody said, well, if you have two, it's a twosome, three, it's a threesome, four, it's a foursome. So I don't think three, four, or 24, I don't know, but five or five or above. Four, a person says, more than three, five, four and up, four is a crowd, at least four, four or more. Over at the Urban Dictionary, or or, or it says sex, sex party. So it has to be a party, according to Urban Dictionary, involving many partners. There'll be three girls and seven guys at the orgy next week, it says. Fourth destination party where many people engage in sex at the same time. Number five, a shit ton of people, five or more getting together, a large group of people. Next thing I found is this encyclopedia.wikia.com. And this is uh, the wiki about orgies. Orgy, everything is better with friends, cards, footballs, World of Warcraft, expressing our love for Stan, huffing kittens, and everything is better with a few buddies to help. Now imagine this, if sex is great one-on-one, what would it be like five-on-five? Let's organize an orgy. You're sitting around at work, it's Thursday. Thursday sucks, it's not Friday. Blah, blah, okay, so this is kind of, okay, here's maybe this answers it. 
How many make an orgy? One, it's not an orgy. Two, it's not an orgy. Three, technically they say it's an orgy, but not really a good one. Four, not an orgy, technically. But this is like if you're two partners next to each other. Five, yes, this is an orgy. Everyone's enough people involved, but not too many to be a crowd. Six, not an orgy, just three sets of two, but they're only seven. Seven, they say, is a perfect orgy. Twosomes, threesomes, and foursomes are popular, are possible. But I think they're looking at it like male, female, male, male. So that doesn't answer the question. So let's go over to old reliable Wikipedia. Orgy. Modern usage orgy is a sex party where guests freely engage in open and unrestrained sexual activity or group sex. Swinger parties do not always conform to this designation because at many swinger parties, partners all know each other and have some commonality. Some swingers contend that an orgy as opposed to a sex party requires some sort of anonymity and complete sexual abandon. I don't mean to get everybody stirred up. It's honestly curious about this. Ancient origin. I can't find any... I can't find anything conclusive. Um, so... Uh, and I, you know, digging too deep with uh, how many, you know, orgies is going to get you on a watch list. It's going to get you, if you're at work, you're going to lose your job. So don't, don't dig too deep. I just think it's probably not an orgy because in this situation with King Robert, because one, he hired all these women or used his power as king to have them all there. So they're not exactly willing partners, even though they're, they didn't totally eject. There's a lot of giggling going on. You probably do need another dude there just because, oh, God, my mom and dad listen to this podcast. So this is just an analysis. Hopefully mom and dad are asleep. But uh, it's, it's just you probably do need another dude there. Otherwise, I mean, it's heaven for a straight male. It wouldn't be an orgy if you like, all right, just go ahead and kill me. I mean, probably. But they'd also be tiring. And, you know, so I guess... To, I don't know. I guess we could talk about it, but it's probably awkward talking about what's an orgy. Since a lot of you are married, this probably wasn't the best idea to talk about. But I was also going to talk about Wes Craven, and he made a lot of scary movies, so I decided not to talk about that. So you can thank me for talking about orgies. And it's inconclusive, but I would say conclusively, it's probably unlikely that Robert was happy. Now, if Jamie went in there, and then the like right when the women were leaving, leaving, and he's like, "Hey, I'm going back. I'm going in." You let and the you ladies, you know, down for some more. And like him and Robert got along, and the women they weren't being paid anymore, were coerced. Then I'd say that is an orgy for sure. If it was Jamie, Robert, and then what was there like five or six women? And then if Jory was in there. Now that's a friggin' no doubt orgy. That's like, and then, oh my god, Jamie could think next time Jor, Jamie runs into Jory, Jamie be like, do I know you? You're looking at me like I know you. He's like, yeah, dude, I was, uh, you know, in the uh, siege of Robert's bedroom. Remember where you're calling it that during the orgy? The orgy, our butt cheeks touched, and you you were the one that says it's not weird. Because it's just our butt cheeks touching side to side. You said butt to butt would be weird. 
And even that's not that weird unless there's some crossover, but side butt to side butt's not weird, you said to me, remember? And then Jamie would be like, I'm having you killed. <laughs> and don't tell Cersei ever. But uh, that would definitely be an orgy as, as we go back to the definition. Um, so I'd say, in my opinion, not an orgy because only one guy. Not an orgy too because none of the women are there willingly. Or they might be there seemingly willingly. But, I mean, he's the king. And uh, so I think those are the only two reasons. Uh, and I don't know if a dude watching would make it an orgy. Probably, kind of. Uh, and I, th- I definitely think a sex party and an orgy are totally different. I think orgy is like a group, like an orgy. Like everyone, it's like a mass uh, pile of bodies doing stuff. Like butt to butt would be barely an orgy. Whereas like... um Eyes Wide Shut. You guys remember that movie, Stanley Kubrick movie with Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman? That was a sex party. People were just having sex in different places, and they had prostitutes. Or in the ice storm, that was a swinger party. So there you go. <laughs> Definition. <laughs> now I can't get out of my mind. Jory and Jamie seeing each other after that. Or what if Jory comes in and King Robert's like, King Robert would, he'd be like, hey, hey, buddy, I know you from somewhere. Is it uh, Storm's End or uh, Roz's End? This is terrible stuff. Oh, man. But it's got to be said. It's got to be said. So that's it on the orgies. Hopefully I don't, like, hopefully I don't shed a bunch of listeners now. Um, I don't, I'm not, I, honestly, I'm not trying to be edgy just interested it's like curious like was robert having an orgy answer probably not okay it's it's time for my prayers crone sweet crone lovely crone miller miller uh maker of milk meal bread grinder of grains smith forger of stuff bender of bendable metal things barky king of the trees god of the trees master of the three-eyed raven and the children and all the trees with the weird faces on them jester you know newest of the gods that likes to laugh and, and joke around and you're you're of a secret identity that only i know because this is season one sweet jester God, the trickster God. You know, God, I, I know I'm on this mission for you guys. And I was up for mission two. I just want to take a time because, you know, God, I'm not about my stuff. Or, you know, me getting with the maiden and, and having that um half God, half half human child that would, you know, would bring glory to my name and your names, of course. Not about those new boots and... And, of course, you know, just regular non-procreation boot knocking with the maiden. Or, you know, stuff on earth, you know, and, and having those. Remember I talked about those green boots. It's been a while, but I'm not going to talk about them with the fur trim. Uh, and protecting me from Cat Stevens and Aristotle and the fake hound. Tonight, it's not about that. It's about my gratitude for all that you've done to me, God's. For you've given me so much here 
And I just want to take the time to thank you gods and ask for your wisdom and your ability to grind stuff and meld, you know, melt stuff together and, and hit it with, hit it with a, a lot of hitting, hammering and banging with the, and, um, barky with the blooming and the eventual graying of, you know, leaves turn brown and changing the seasons, beautiful changing the seasons of barky and the shade and the apples and all that they provide. And, um, Jester, the laughter perspective. I know you're pretty big on perspective and, and seeing things outside of the, the box and all that stuff. Sorry, guys, I thought I heard a goat outside m- m- moaning or, and I was worried it was a maiden. I was, but I'm back again. Uh, guys, I want to thank you for sending those, uh, this couple. I think I'm assuming it was from you. Scott and Jennifer, they appeared uh, one time when I was going to to prep the Roose Bolton Fantasy Fiction Time Machine, make sure it was all filled up. You know, I was had some serious ruining of Roose Bolton to go through, so I was going to fill up the engine. And this couple was there, Scott and Jennifer. God, I'll pray, God's, I'll pray for you. Crone, I know your wisdom guided them to me. Or maybe they 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 were too young and and uh, and attractive. No offense, grown to be. Maybe I mean maybe that's the kind of thing you uh, nice couple you change yourself into. But I was you know if I meet you, I'm like, well whatever, crone. Thank you for your wisdom, Miller. And maybe you, you Scott reminds me of the best parts of you, and uh, and the the Smith because his ingenuity. And his ability to make stuff. And Jester, I gotta be honest, Jennifer reminds me a bit of you because she's, she's got a positive attitude and a kind of a good way of looking at life in perspective and generosity. Crone, I guess you have generosity. And it's just my thing, Crone. This is just a projection, but you know, sometimes I think, you know, the old aren't as generous, but I know I'm wrong in your case, Crone. So thank you too, Crone. Barky, I know Jennifer and Scott have your um, ability to lay roots deep and filter the sunshine in a way that makes things. So they, they're at the Roosevelt Fantasy Fiction Time Machine, and they had these special talismans, and they said they'd brought them for me because they heard of my quests. And they share my passion for... Uh, you know, just you gods. They they said they've had it too with the maiden. They said I could have the maiden or whatever. They weren't looking for that type of thing. But they said they were over the father and the mother, boss, and all the other gods around, and the warrior. Again, I think it was they said, who does that warrior think he is up there? You know, wh- wh- who's going to praise a warrior? Where, where, where do I, where's the peace god? And I said, yeah, the crone's the closest thing we got, so we got to pray to her. And they said, we agree. And we heard about you prostolizing or whatever you call it. These gods, the crone, Miller, they said they liked the idea of a Miller god. And why, you know, probably the warrior pushing Miller out because he's all war-torn and looking to create war situations. So they gave me these special talismans that they created from their heart of hearts to help me on my quest 
to bring praise to all your names. So thank you for Scott and Jennifer and their talismans. I'm going to use them to uh, light the way so that all may be enlightened in the sweetness of you, Crone. And I know other gods, I say a lot more about the Crone because I think she needs it. She's old. we got to keep her going. So it's not like a, 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 everything's even up there. Just the Crone comes first because she's the oldest, plain and simple. She's been around. Right, right, you know, I feel like the crow needs a little extra attention, Miller, Smith, I know. But you guys are way better than the other gods. Barky, you're silent and strong, I know it. And Jester, you're just cracking up because I can't do anything right. So that's it. That. Thanks, God. So, yeah, yeah, let me go check out. I'll be right back because I hear, think I hear a goat again. Thank you for Scott and Jennifer and their talismans to carry me on. God, so I want to, you know, thank you for giving me, uh, you know, the music at the beginning of this, before the prayer started, a little bit before I did some other stuff you guys probably know about. There's a Jess, a uh, minstrel, his name's Posty, a little Posty. Crone, if you could give it Posty a little bit of your um, wisdom. And God, the rest of the gods, you know, hook him up with some strings for his stuff, metal strings and his belly with some grains, none, none. I know Miller. You don't. You know your your grains don't have any allergens or stuff. So Posty, if you look out for Chrissy Poo Posty and the Lord and the Lady of the podcast, Lady Shannon, Lord Jonathan, if you could keep an eye on them. We have a new defrenet fenestrator, Nick Van Corfina three. He's, God's, he, if you, you know, he probably could use like a little bit of armor, Smith. Maybe, if, you know, he's going to be throwing people out a window, so he's got to be able to move. He probably could use a weapon just in case someone tries to usurp his job, but we don't want him to get too, you know, we don't need regicide unless it's needed. And we don't even have a king and queen, so it's just be a lord and lady aside. But we like our lord and lady, so thank you for that, the Nick Van Cor. Gods, I know you don't know about Twitter, but Twitter's this thing here, and it's like, a, it's kind of, Twitter, it's got a bird on it, so it's kind of like a bird thing that goes on there, but I know you guys, gods don't need bird, one of the crows, I mean, I know Barky, you use the crows for stuff, vision quest type stuff, hopefully I'll get one of those vision quest type things where I can lay my hand on fire, but it's not really on fire. Maybe I could be, be able to throw some fireballs and all that stuff. But that's not about me, guys. Twitter, it's, let's just say it's like a bird that I know about, bird, multiple birds that praise your name. But I just want to thank you for my new friends from Twitter, Christy R. Mandar. Mandar rhymes with Christy R. God's only your wisdom. Corey R. Wow, a lot of R's. Frida and Clara. Clara R. Clara, Clara, with an L, Clara, or Clara, which rhymes kind of with the R's, and Frida's got an R in it. So thank you for all my Twitter friends, sweet, 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 sweet crone, and, and all the rest. I want to thank you for Toby and Autumn that got a hold of me by email, which for this situation, it's too hard to explain. It's just like mail. I haven't seen any mail in Westeros, but you probably got it. Uh, and gods, you probably don't even need mail. So thank you for Toby and Autumn. 
And then God's even at the beginning of the podcast, I was doubting you in the, the workers at iTunes podcast type stuff. And they've come through with all the backlog of uh, Twitter, iTunes reviews. So I just want to thank all you, God, for all. I want you to watch over all of these people who took the time to write a review and then had to wait so long because of uh, Bark. You probably like Apple for more than one reason, but they got Apple in their name. They do the, they're, they're great most of the time, but there they was a little backlog. So Saggy Brown gave us a nice U.S. of A. X Herber, Herb Vorex from the U.S. of A. Drakage from the Netherlands gods. That's another. I think that's a little bit like the fingers, where little fingers from. But we're not going to hold that against them. Uh, Swank me from Australia. And believe me, <laughs> uh, Maiden, you know, I'd like to swank you. Uh, so super cool from the US of A. Pretty baller. It says about us. Thank you. We're so super cool. Annie from US of A says we're a snoozapalooza. Thank you. And also use a nice word, tangential. Love God's. I love words that you put on my lips. Para, paradise. Thank you. Paradise prefers our earlier episodes, but sweet gods, thank you for paradise. Lolex from Brazil. Oh, you know, Brazil is a country of beautiful, beautiful people. So maybe I prefer that country to the maiden anyway. You know, maiden, if you're listening. A personator from the U.S. of A says we work amazingly well. Thank you. Karloff32 says that we're original, A+. And Karloff reminds me of Costello's. And um, I'm going to probably watch those shows this Halloween. Thank you, gods. Peggy S. Peggy Sue. Pretty, pretty Peggy Sue. Oh, Peggy. Thanks for your review. Limehead 5. Limehead 5, I know I've talked to you and your 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 partner in different times. And Limehead 5, gods, I want you to... Limehead 5 is one of these victims of the warrior, I think. Like doing all the stupid warrior bossing around. Limehead 5, he's looking for some support from you gods. And he's got a beautiful story in his review about he's away... And his ladies away from each other, but they listen to the podcast and it helps them sleep. And then they can talk about it, gods. So they keep an eye on both of them, Nicole and Lionhead, I think. Lang Lan of the US of A says, we're unreal. So thank you, Lang Lan. Thank you, gods. Anastasia La Luminare, beautiful, beautiful name, says we're like a tornequilizer dart. Thank you. Thank you, gods. Blue Velvet. She wore Blue Velvet, gods, 2000. And says we're uh, bizarre and dreamlike. Thank you. Ariel G. Says uh, she's a new mom, gods. Raising a someone to praise your name. So thank you for her. Gear Feathers. Gear Feathers says we're a wonderful, wonderful little podcast. Bored Pig. A little bored little piggy, gods, from Australia. Says uh podcast helps board pigs too. If you think about the goats and the problems we have with goats, if I would have just picked pigs, 
Daytime snoozer. Gods, also from the USA. Thank you. So that's it, gods. I just want to pr pray to praise your names to all the people that are helping me in my quest to uh, totally, um, you know, eventually, I'm not going to, you know, gods, I'm ambitious. Praise your names. But I'm not just satisfied that I'm going to do these quests to prove myself to you guys. Quest two, coming up, I just took a break. Not because I need a break or, or just to extra praise you guys for helping me and, you know, ask for prayers for other people because my I'm not the priority here. It's priority. I'm priority three, like three million really, but, you know, you guys are priority one. These fine people are priority two. And the George R. R. Martin's Jets, don't forget about them. That's priority two. Priority three, I guess, would be vengeance. Um, all the vengeance we've got. we got the Mr. Clegane, Fake Hound, um, Mountain, I guess, Cat Stevens. I don't think Aristotle's on. I don't even think Cat Stevens. Maybe. I don't know if about Cat Stevens and Aristotle. All these other gods that think they're hot stuff. Those are priority. And then me, priority four, I guess. But really, gods, don't even worry about it. I'm on it. I'm going to take down, you know, I'm going to take down these gods. It'll all work out. So thank you for all the support you give me on this quest, gods. Everybody that helps me. And I hope we, you know, gods, if you look out for them, they want, lies people want to sleep good. So just keep an eye out for that. But, if, you know, if, you're, uh, if your wisdom watches over them and your um, ability to make stuff and, and grind up foods and... Uh, you know, provide nutrition, suck nutrition from the earth and, and, and keep some shade and fruit and then laugh about it. That's all they need. So give it all to them, please. Gods, thank you for all that you do. Um, and again, if any like, accidental insults against your crone, I'm not sure even if you hear everything I say. Uh, but, you know, I, I talk to the jester. He takes it, you know, he'll, he'll teach you how to take it in stride. The jester, God of all the jesters in all of the world. And uh, that's it. Checking out. Being, don't worry, probably the next time I talk to you, I'll already be done with Quest 2. It's not like this was a form of procrastination, this episode, that I don't have a Quest 2 to either deal with one of the other gods. Miller, you're done. No offense, bro. But, you know, you're quested out. But yeah, no, not like I'm, I don't have another quest. I have, I have like a multitude of quests to choose from. Uh, so, and my bravery has never been more brave, brave, courageous wise. So that's it, guys. I'll be taking care of business down here. So thanks for the support. Truly, truly, thank you for the support, all of you. And, you know, F the warrior and father and mother, you know, and the, the drowned god. I don't want to find, you know, I don't, I still know what reaving is. So I'm not, you know, and then that other god, Rolor, um, and any of those other gods we don't like. All right. Good night, gods.